0: For 15 years, games
1: for change is thought to power game creators and social innovators to drive real world change. I feel like technology is often used for bad stuff, Um, rather than um, creating awareness for anti-bullying. I want to make sure people know that technology doesn't have to be a bad thing.
2: The organization games for change is hard to describe as being just one thing. They throw a festival that happens every year in New York City, and that's been the backbone of the organization. But around that has grown a really important community of artists and activists, educators, computer scientists, developers, funders, and game studios even, who believe deeply in the power of games for improving the human experience. Sometimes that's about empathy for other humans. Sometimes it's about zooming in on something remarkable. Sometimes it's about simply tapping the playfulness in all of us. When I think of games for change, some might call them serious games, I think of titles like Dysphoria, a flash game by the legendary Anna Anthropy, quoting from Wikipedia to recount her experiences of gender dysphoria and hormone replacement therapy. There are hundreds of titles, and many would argue that the boundaries between serious games and others is really about your game design practice more than genre. They can be blurry when you put them up against educational games or even virtual environments where the outcomes aren't purely a play for revenue. I've been really lucky to be a part of this organization's evolution as a participant at the festival, as a partner to their student game design challenge in my role at Mouse, and as a member of the community that gained so much from the vision they put forward 15 years ago. I feel like an anniversary gift is in order, and while I didn't send chocolates to the founders... Ben Stokes, Barry Joseph, Suzanne Sigerman, it felt like the next best thing to spend some time with G4C President Susanna Pollack and give you a chance to hear from two winners at this year's festival about why Games for Change is so important. Three conversations, 15 years of Games for Change. Enjoy. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. First... Thank you for making time for this.
0: It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Mark.
2: I'm really excited to have you on, and I'm excited to um, have had the chance to uh, also interview some of the winners from this year, and, and uh, this is exciting. It's a huge congratulations on 15 years of Games for Change.
0: Thank you. 15 years is a long time, you know, and, and the, the sector and this industry has grown so much. I'm just so proud to be part of it.
2: I thought it was really special that uh, in, one of the many things I found to be special about this year's Games for Change, and I think I have been to uh, at least half of the festivals over the course of 15 years, and um, I thought it was really special to have the founders up on the sort of main stage talking a little bit about uh, the festival's history and what it took to, to put together this partnership, not that uh, we're all uh, a, a part of a work in progress uh, in small organizations. So, but it was really special to hear all of that and hear from them and, and have everybody back in one place. It was exciting.
0: Yeah, uh, I was really, really happy that people were able to join us. And I don't know if you were there at the beginning of the day, but we had a special recognition from the mayor's office. Yes. From the New York City's mayor's office who recognized um, us, Games for Change, for holding our festival in New York for 15 years um, and helping grow a community of, you know, cross uh, discipline, you know, uh Uh, Participants and then actually named June twenty eighth as Games for Change Day. Yeah, gave us this proclamation. It was pretty pretty
2: exciting. So so let's start there. I I wanted to one of the things I wanted to ask you um, actually since the announcement of that proclamation is about what role you think games for change and the festival have had in further sort of adding. uh, I don't, I don't know how you would put it. Is it glue that holds together uh, the uh, game design, a certain game design community in New York? Is it, um, you know, being able to sort of showcase and, and shed light. Uh, There are so many things that I think the festival does, but I'm curious for you, Um, Looking back in in the history, and I know you are not a a founding president, uh, but somebody who took the reins. So in your time at Games for Change, I wonder what you've noticed about um, what this festival and what this organization means to the community of game developers who it supports and who support it.
0: Right. So, so, yes, yeah, so I've been involved with the organization for five years. So, it's about a third of its history. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's significant. And I definitely have seen it grow within the, the years that I've been here. Um, I've been president for three years, but I was working as a partnerships lead for a couple of years before. And I think one of the things that attracted me most to Games or Change and things that I'm, I'm really most proud of is the fact that our community exists um, that, that brings together participants from so many different sectors. So you're obviously right that we play a role in holding together a lot of game developers and designers who believe in the power that games can have Mm -hmm. beyond entertainment. But it's not just that; it's the educators and the researchers and academics who have been researching and writing and using games with patients that are have investing and and commissioning experiences to help further their own impact goals, Um, and even like government agencies and I don't know um, and corporate you know uh, corporate uh, corporate responsibility divisions who Mm -hmm. also. Look at games as a part, you know, one an important piece of media that can that can connect with people um, on important issues. So the fact that you can come to our festival and meet someone from the National Endowment of the Arts or the Department of Education or from Ubisoft or from you know a small indie developer or a researcher from Carnegie Mellon University, you know that um, that it's It's almost like equal parts, you know, it's almost like this recipe of equal parts that come together Mm -hmm. and um, all respect each other's works and realize that it's only with this kind of ecosystem that this sector can advance.
2: Yeah. When you think of um, Games for Change's past, um, as somebody who's been involved with the organization for five years, um, I wonder what do you what are you most proud of uh, from G4C's past and, and what it's been able to cultivate over time?
0: we started to see the the breadth of our community growing beyond what was initially like a very core um, uh, a core community of of people who believe that games can elevate humanitarian and social issue you know um, topics or concerns and that is definitely the heart of games for change and and it has been and it continues to be but as games have become more ubiquitous in our culture and technology is being used in so many different sectors you know we've seen a really healthy games for education games for learning community develop yeah. we're also just, we're also starting to see uh, more recently games in health um, so the fact that we that we've played a role in advocating the use of this medium in the, these different disciplines and evangelizing the, the growth of this is really exciting to me. So the fact that we actually now have three tracks, right? We have a civic and social issues track, we have a games for learning track, and we have a neurogaming and health track, you know, to me it means that we're we're succeeding in helping grow the community. So that's one thing I'm really proud of, but the other the other thing is our work in education. Um, I um, have worked in media, youth-based media for a long time, and um, the use of media in education I've I've always um, uh, found very powerful. And the work that we've done to to um, highlight. The, the Games for Learning community and the amazing work that's happening in that space has been very special. We've had the Games for Learning track for four years now um, that we started with the federal uh, Department of Education um, and continue on working with a lot of different agencies. Um, and then the work that we're doing directly with youth with our Games for Change Student Challenge, which I'd love to talk about in a little bit too, is how we are inspiring the next generation of game designers to think about the power this medium can have.
2: And yeah so so let's talk about that. We I had a chance um to chat with uh one of the, our winners from the student challenge this year uh in Pittsburgh and and she was uh, uh as you would expect whip smart and uh and uh, just such a um, array of light and hope, and and just uh, you know, I think in in some ways an embodiment uh, of what's so special about Games for Change. There's just so much energy there, and how she sees herself as a creator, as um, being able to bring something really special um, to the table, sort of civically and socially. Um, tell us about the student challenge, what was the sort of the spark that got that started and, and tell us about sort of where to from here, um, after these, uh, few years that it's been running, there's been a lot of success and, and I know a lot of interest in growth. Um, I'm curious to hear what, what the vision is for the future.
0: Yeah. So we just started um, recruiting for our fourth year in New York um, for the program. And now we're running in New York, Atlanta, Detroit, and um, Los Angeles um, and looking to grow beyond for sure. Um, but the program started in New York um, actually with a, a friend, um, now a, an old friend of ours named Michael Preston, mm-hmm. who, who worked at the New York City Department of Ed and now runs a Computer Science for All, um, a nationwide initiative. Um, and he came to us and he said, Um, Actually, it might have been through you. I think you're the one who introduced us (laughs) (laughs) at some cocktail party, I don't know, five years ago. But he said, wouldn't it be really cool if there was a competition for game design in middle and high schools Mm. in the same way that there is like a national poetry contest or there is a filmmaking contest, you know, getting a youth be, to become creators and um and find ways to express themselves through these creative mediums and we thought that was an amazing idea and you know as games were changed it's, it wasn't enough just to have kids designing games but let's have them design games about something right mm-hmm. and, and kind of marry the civic engagement piece um with the um the education the the, the creative piece and also of course, a, the, the STEM development opportunity and 21st century skill development opportunity. So we developed the program and realized that it, it was pretty nascent an idea. I mean there's small groups of, of kids who are doing game design programs in after school clubs or part, maybe part of Girls who Code or something like that. Um, but we actually needed to bring game design into the classroom and help develop that um, in a sense like the, the demand for it. So um, we work now we work with partners like mouse.org to mm-hmm. b- bring a game design curriculum into the classroom by training teachers and providing PD for them uh, to uh, to teach kids how to do a ser- to design serious games or games for change and then we develop, um, we, we offer um, prompts uh, or themes for students to design games around. And it's a year-long program that's both in school and, and after school, depending on how the teachers want to um, implement it at their particular school. But then we also offer game jams and uh, workshops and field trips for for youth to um, find ways to participate if they're not one of those uh, school cohorts that we're able to offer the program to. And so there's just an opportunity for kids to want to learn about game design who already are doing it, to create community, to learn from mentors that we bring into the program, design games about issues that are important to their community, and then ultimately be part of a competition where they can be recognized for their great work. Mm-hmm. And um, we try to culminate the event in each city with a big exhibition and an award ceremony. This past year, we did it at the Intrepid in New York, which was really fun. And we had over uh, 300 people there to celebrate the amazing work the kids did. And and just, you know, to see what these kids can come up with and apply, um, you know, new skills of learning game design or just apply something they love to do and critically think about their communities is amazing.
2: Yeah. I wonder um, both maybe start with the student challenge, but I'm curious to have some of your, um, highlights, uh, sort of takeaways from this year's festival, especially things that, um, things that surprised you where, uh, maybe it, it, you played something, it opened your eyes or developers who are contributing something really unique, a perspective that's coming up that surprises you, um, I find I have those things every year from the festival. I wonder what what your yours were from uh, from 2018.
0: Well, one was not wasn't necessarily like a content or a trend that I saw about game sector it was it was really more about how much people really enjoy meeting people yeah. and how how much, how valued that is about this festival. So you know, if any of your listeners are interested in in coming because you're an educator or because you're curious about this sector like if we have so many first-time people who are coming to the event because because they're curious um and they and it's small enough that you can rub elbows with speakers and vips and there are you know informal networking opportunities we did a mentors lounge for the first time and mm-hmm. just people loved it um and, you know, it's funny, whereas I'm always like, oh, we've got so many great stories to tell and so many amazing projects out there. We need to program every minute of the two days of the the festival. And actually what people are looking for is some downtime so they can meet and talk to people. And, mm. and that's and it's amazing. It seems counterintuitive for me, you know, for actually wanting to give people experiences, but I realized the experience a lot of people are looking for is an opportunity to network and learn from each other. So that was, that was a a highlight for me. The other is um, the growing, I guess the growing fascination with new technologies. So we started the third day to the festival called the XR for change summit. Yeah. You know, is a, an effort to expand the community and the tools that people can use to create interactive experiences, honestly beyond games, using immersive technology. So we know a lot of game designers are using, are developing for VR, virtual reality, and augmented reality. Um, And there are not-for-profits and educators who are um, looking looking for opportunities to create new experiences. that they can offer for learning purposes or building awareness on issues. And so there's, you know, it's, it's continuing to grow. There are amazing projects out there that are uh, being created and it's exciting to be part of that community from the ground up.
2: Yeah. It's been exciting to see how that's evolved um, from last year to this year, the XR um, group. I got to spend some time in the session with uh, the developers, and I will, I will link to these guys in the show notes, but there are a group of developers in Australia who, um, were working on a project that was, um, a virtual reality environment for young people who in, um, a healthcare setting are undergoing treatments that involve, yeah. um, needles, a lot of, a lot of sitting and, and having to, uh, draw blood or, or take medication, um, and I was really excited this year. I feel like that the, the dimension for, um, for virtual really uh, opened up a little bit. Um, I feel like we're still at such a, an early stage for uh, what we're going to see with how virtual, um, you know, does things like that. Um, changes uh, experiences that are difficult. Uh, changes the way we um, experience other people and see the world and, and all of those things I think there's but but this year was definitely it felt like it uh, moved the needle a little bit and it was exciting to see some of those projects come up
0: yeah yeah it's like it's cool what's happening in the health space in particular um, whether it's um, whether VR or AR are used for rehabilitation purposes or as you said, like pain management mm-hmm. or, uh, or relaxation, even as simple as that. Yep. Um, and how there's research, you know, uh, uh b- being done to, um, you know, to create evidence-based, you know, uh, you know, uh, facts so that, um, there's a legitimate reason to to use this, and that takes time right It takes time to to build those case studies, but uh, investments going into it and it's really exciting yeah out of it
2: one of the things that I think is so neat about um, and you really you hit on this already is is how unique the environment of the games for change festival is, and I think it's um, it's both it feels characteristic of of how of this unique Uh, Festival environment that it brings together people from so many different sectors. I also think, you know, it fosters a change that seems like it's happening, especially in learning games where um, I I chatted with some of the folks from uh, winners of the uh, the education games. Category from Atentat, uh, nineteen forty-two, and those guys are amazing. And and um, what was so interesting to me about that combination of developers is that you have uh, researcher, linguistic, sort of translators uh, mm-hmm. slash educators involved with um, developer slash historians, and it's it's folks who are um, coming to this space as creators with so much to offer. Um, I think one of the things that it does is help to characterize, uh, games and game design as, um, something that is, is not just for the casual player or the player who's interested in the, you know, the AAA titles, um. There is, uh, I, th- I think, um, intellectually, this is a different environment. And I think it's a group of people who are realizing games and game design as a space for um, for uh, all kinds of disciplines uh, to come together and tell stories differently and help people interact differently with subjects. And I just think that that's so powerful, uh, the way the two interact between the festival and how... Um, Independent and and education development, game development, and and others are you know those teams are reflecting the kind of environment that comes up at 4 Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a it's a, they it can be a a, a a wonderful opportunity for true artistic expression, right? And and to have that artistic expression be intellectually based, to be about something meaningful, it could be political, it could be educational, right? There and. And it's really like an, an art form, and you know when you talk about Adenat, you know, nineteen forty-two it's just—it's so beautifully constructed, so simple and specific—that mm-hmm. um, uh, the the level of creators and what they're—they're they're all at the top of their game contributing mm-hmm. something and you can tell and you can see that in those kind of projects.
2: Yeah, do you think? Do you think that those two things will? Um will merge more deliberately at some point between uh, sort of the the huge uh, game shops and AAA titles and the sort of independent and and sort of games for, for social change kind of movements? Do you think that those things will do more intersecting uh, or do you feel like they'll always be somewhat a, a parallel environment?
0: I think they will exist as a parallel environment, but I do think that the AAA studios have and the publishers have begun to acknowledge the value of publishing indie titles, regardless of whether they're Games for Change or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at it from the bottom, from both being about a bottom line, what's going to make money, but also about establishing a brand. Whatever, like a, 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 a identity, right? Like yeah. what their identity is, and that they can have the label that's an indie as well as the you know the the main franchises. Um, so I I do think that that is that is driving part of the interest in the games for change sector, but the other is um, just that you they can't. They're not ignoring anymore the fact that a lot of these bigger titles have, like, have a um, uh, byproduct kind of effect, mm. um, and they um, and there's a, a real value in supporting that um, those those situations and actually maybe even driving new projects that are are do have some kind of educational or impact um, opportunity. So, so I'm thinking about like Ubisoft with assassin's creed, Mm. right? So assassin's creed was developed purely as a, as a commercial title. Um, the way that it was, um, developed and researched by historians and it was constructed around different moments in history and with a lot of accuracy and some creative freedom, but with a lot of accuracy, Mm -hmm. um, that there were, um, and are, you know, um, thousands of kids who are developing an an understanding and a love of world history through exposure to that game. And a a few years ago um, at our first Games for Learning Summit, we had an opportunity to introduce the developers from, from Assassin's Creed to educators, right? Who were saying, yeah, we, we love this game. We're trying to figure out ways to bring it into the classroom. We're modding, we're modding the, um, you know, certain certain games to make that happen. It'd be so awesome if there was, and actually, an educational version. Mm. And to Ubisoft's credit, they allowed their development team to spend a couple of years figuring out how to make that happen. And now there is an educational version of of um, Assassin's Creed Origins, and there's a nonviolent, you know, op- uh, uh, kind of. Uh, a discovery mode experience that can bring into the classroom. Now they're figuring out what the business model is around that. But regardless of what that business model is, they saw value in in responding to an interest that they, you know, wasn't their intention when they designed the game. Yeah. And I think we're seeing more examples of that. And what I'm hopeful is that there'll be more um, uh, intentional projects going to development that can have that kind of offshoot. Yeah. For double benefit.
2: Yeah, more, more back and forth. And maybe in that in that case, uh, them being parallel is actually more useful to one another than uh, mm-hmm. if they were to become, you know, m- more intertwined. Um, so I, I love that. For those who are thinking, what is a Games for Change, how do you define it?
0: When I think about a Games for Change, I define it as a, um, a game that has an impact on its player, predominantly because there's an intent to to, ha- to have that kind of outcome. And the outcome could be um, something as general as getting somebody to feel something or to build empathy around something, or um, it could be as specific as transfer of knowledge and it's an educational game. But I do think there can be games that have that kind of impact that were not inest- intentionally designed as a game for change, like... Assassin's Creed. I wouldn't consider Assassin's Creed a game for change. Right. Uh, game for change, however, um, it has had an unintended impact of educating young people about um, about um, uh, world history. Whereas the educational mode of the game, uh, I think, is is more designed with that intent. Um, but the impact itself, there are so many different kinds of impact that games can have. Um, and one of the things that we discuss with um, game developers and nonprofits profits who you know, want to create a game um, with some kind of out- outcome in mind, that you really want to be intentional about what that is. The intent, the the outcome could vary, but to go to go into the design process that says with the intention that I, you know, I want to make somebody do x or feel x or um or um or bring these people together whatever that is but it's intentional
2: another way to put it that that uh, i hope i think i'm i'm just repeating what you just said but um another way to put it is that uh there are games where the the learning or the developmental impact is sort of a symptom of the game um incidentally Um, and then there are games where that is the objective. And I think for, for me, a game for change is, um, sort of broadly defined as a game where, uh, learning or developmental impact is, is sort of central to its goal and focus. So one of the things that I thought a lot about this year at the festival was why it's so important that this venue exists particularly at this point in time, in, uh, our, our history, in what is happening in our current events, uh, where artists and, uh, technologists sort of, um, exist in this world. And I, I wonder if you had those thoughts this year and, Have any feeling about why it's so important that uh games for change in this 15th year is remains uh a venue where folks are sort of pushing the boundaries pushing um
0: i do believe that um having a platform for artists and creators and technologists that give them a voice, um, is really, really important. And it is times of, of kind of political and cultural turmoil. Um, that, that it's, I personally believe there's these voices that cannot keep us all sane, right. That, that, um, that reflect not only what's going on around us, but, also, envisions a better and brighter future, um, and that it is creativity that will tr- get us to where we need to go. Um, so, when we curated this year's festival, we really made an effort to go far and wide looking for voices that wouldn't typically have a platform. You know, so it wasn't just about highlighting uh, the bigger stories and the bigger Mm. games and developers is also finding somebody in Australia who is doing amazing work, um, you know, or finding that emerging, uh, developer Mm
2: -hmm.
0: who, um, Mm. is telling a personal story about their, you know, uh, self-discovery. So, um, uh, yes, I think that, uh, Festivals, you know, and it's something that we call ourselves a festival and not a conference. And partly for that reason, is that we exist to celebrate the uh, the the creativity and the projects that are coming out of our community. As much as we want to be a learning environment, and you know, for for best practices, and so people can move move forward and, and create content and and do deals and get their projects funded but it's as much a celebration of the diverse voices.
2: Susanna, thank you so much for doing this. Um, for folks who want, uh, who may be learning about the Games for Change Festival for the first time through this interview, where should they go to find Games for Change?
0: We have a website, um, it's really easy to find, it's called gamesforchange.org, spell it all out. Um, and, um, through there, you can find links to the festival itself, um, to our student challenge program and other resources that we offer to the community. Um, we have a newsletter that that goes out um, often. We also have a Google group um, that is a very active community of people who post questions or Um, looking for research or wants to share their research. Um, So, you know, we very much exist for the community. So we definitely encourage your listeners to get involved, listen, you know, sign up to our newsletter, join a Google group, follow us on social media. Um, And if there are people in uh, New York, L.A., Detroit or Atlanta that want to participate, um, their teachers and want to participate in our student challenge, please go on to that part of the website. Uh, we are recruiting for teachers now, um, and if anyone wants us to bring this program to your their city, uh, please get in touch and let us know.
2: Susanna Pollack, president of Games for Change, a nonprofit organization based here in New York, uh, but no doubt impacting uh, a a very big audience outside of new york um Susanna, thanks so much for making the time and congratulations again on your 15 year anniversary thank you so much mark beat sisler and sean clibor are part of an amazing collaboration that developed Tot 1942 winner for best learning game at games for change here's a list of awards that this game has collected this year amaze awards most amazing game independent games festival finalist, Czech game of the year, best story, best PC and console game, game of the year, game development, world Championship silver medal, game industry. Uh, you get the idea. It's a pretty awesome game. And here's the list that the Czech version, before it was translated, earned before that, Czech game of the year, best debut 2015, Games Learning Society showcase award winner 2015. <sighs> Seriously. It's a great game. Check out the conversation with Viet and Sean. Guys, so uh, congratulations on uh, the festival win for uh, Best Learning Game at Games for Change 2018. Uh, that must have been exciting for you both. I would imagine that uh, after, let's see, seven uh, years developing this game, um, that the accolades and, and Games for Change is just one have been... Uh, rewarding to say the least um Veed, I'm curious to hear from you what it feels like to finally be at this stage in the process where uh finally you're you're getting to uh celebrate the work a little
3: bit it's uh it's absolutely amazing uh, like Games for Change was one of the most I would say, prestigious awards we we won with Sattentile 1942 and uh, As Sean said, like in the beginning when we started, uh, no one of us imagined that this game would be that successful and that the project would go that far. It started actually, the whole project started as an educational tool for Czech high schools and later on in the process when the game was really successful with uh, Czech high school teachers and uh, and, and students, we are thinking about making an international version which would be more adjusted for non-Czech audience and it should also be more a video game less like educational tool and that's what uh, when Attentat Nineteen Forty Two like appeared on Steam and on like, was available to global audience so it was actually great that uh, this game was recognized on so many uh, levels beyond Czech Republic
2: I'm curious for the two of you about your personal connection to the story. Attentat 1942 is uh, about... The uh, a, a stage in World War II where uh, the Czech Republic was was deeply engaged um, in the war, and and uh, this involves multiple generations of storytelling. And and uh, I'm I'm curious for both of you, what's your personal connection to the content, Sean? I want to start with you. Uh, Your connection may be a good transition off of your introduction. I know that you're a high school teacher, so there is uh, that connection. Uh, Tell me, is there more for you personally?
4: Uh, Yeah, I'm actually I know Veep because I uh, went to Prague in 2003 as a college student to study abroad and to study intensively the Czech language. Um, I went to graduate school at Northwestern and I got my Ph.D. in Central and Eastern European history and spent four years and did a Fulbright Hayes fellowship uh, in Prague in the Czech Republic. Um, So history is something that I've been studying really intensively. Uh, not just as a college student and beyond, but really my whole life. I've been really interested in history and learning about the past and learning about complex narratives that um, are not black and white, that um, really look differently depending on the, the the perspective of the person telling the story. And so... Uh, I kind of took those past experiences and brought them into my dissertation work, which was predominantly on communism and the communist regime, uh, particularly artists, writers, and intellectuals who were fellow travelers of the Communist Party, and how these intellectuals um, transformed themselves from free-thinking, surrealists, Dadaists, Cubists, into... Many of them ended up lackeys um, of the Communist Party in the 1950s, where they were sending friends and allies to, to prison, hmm. to be executed, and and so, um, so this particularly difficult period of Czech history is something that I spent a long time studying, that I was very interested in. Uh, when I was in the archives, I would dig out these stories and tell my friends about them over dinner. I remember some friends of ours invited me over one night and said, um, so what terrible things have you learned about uh, our, our our heroes today, uh, our, our historical heroes? And so I would have these like, you know, ribald stories of different things that I would find. And so I think... Those experiences in some kind of taught me about how to use, how to tell stories about the past and how to make them compelling and engaging. So when VTech started working on this, this game, um, I was really excited to get involved because Czech history was so important to me and 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 the, uh, the, the complexities of that history. And I knew that video games as a medium would be such a fantastic way of, um, of engaging these stories. Vít, how about you?
3: Well, we've been actually developing like serious games and educational games for over a decade uh, at Charles University. It's actually our department of new media studies in collaboration with uh, mathematical, physical faculty, the programmers. And for a long time, we knew we want to do a game about the sec- like second half of 20th century, about contemporary history of Czechoslovakia in the 20th century for multiple reasons, because it's a, it's a very contested time. Uh, it's a like, time where the country witnessed uh, two totalitarian regimes, Nazism and Communism. It's a time which is still very present in contemporary politics and in society. And at the time we started the project in 2011, uh, there are still not that many tools for teachers how to, how to engage with this, with this uh, period and also how to motivate students to really critically talk about it, et etc. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was one incentive. Important was that uh, we knew this is not an easy task. So kind of 10 years ago, we knew we are not ready for because this would be a project which would require like a uh, collaboration with a number of historians and a huge like deal of uh, programming and, and work with teachers etc. So but suddenly when the kind of our uh, small like say departmental collaboration between people grew, we felt in 2011 we are ready to initiate such a huge project. So we actually reached out to the historians from uh, the Institute of Contemporary History of Czech Academy of Sciences which uh, agreed to join us. And we uh, submitted a grant to Ministry of Culture, like large uh, five years grant, which actually we won. Uh, so we are able to start this project, both on a personal and let's say like financial level. And my personal connection is uh, my father was a historian. Uh, uh, he was doing a contemporary history, and he was actually born uh, in a in a small village, in the village I am right now, uh, in his in his house, uh, it's a small village in the border region between uh, Czechoslovakia and Germany. So like historian particular, the post-war history is was very present in in my family.
4: yeah, and just to add really quickly, I think another part of your background that is so interesting is that when you were in grad school, uh, when we first met, you were you're an Arabist and you were studying uh, Islam and uh, Arabic. and and you were doing research and writing articles on uh, Islam online and Islamic video games and uh, radical radical groups using video games as recruitment tools, like uh, I think Hezbollah. So, um, so that's also I think kind of an interesting angle for you.
3: Yeah, actually, that's 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 true. I I'd say it's it's this kind of schematization. Uh, I, I'm an Arabist originally by uh, by my first MA. And I did my PhD on the video game development in the Arab world and Iran. Mm. Uh, so I went to I went to Syria and Egypt and uh, and Lebanon and Qatar and and uh, Iran, and I did uh, I did interviews with uh, with uh, with people developing video games. And by no means these video games were all conserved with with religion or politics. There are many video games that go beyond that, but definitely my. Experience with diversity in video games was kind of helpful, but I'm not sure if you could like 20 minutes. If this is something you you know you want want to use in the in the interview, because mm-hmm. there's really no connection between Attentat 942 and any of my research uh, uh, in the Middle East, I would say. But I'm uh, feel free to, <laughs> to 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 do that. But.
2: Well, it's a it's a uh, it's a pretty fascinating background, and actually transition. It's a beautiful transition to my next question, which is actually about. A collaboration like this. Um, uh-huh. y- you guys are coming from uh, you know different spheres, different backgrounds, and I'm I'm curious how for you, uh 1942 represents a, a sort of um, to what extent it it represents a new era for game design where collaboration happens across institutions, across continents, um, yeah. and and. And or to what extent you feel like it's uh, the same as it always been? It it feels like such a unique um, collaboration to me, uh, and and I mean that beyond just the 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 technical and design oriented uh, pieces, but also you have a lot of uh, you have survivors and uh, and all kinds of
3: folks involved in this project. Yeah, uh, actually, it. The, the, the collaboration which is behind at two is unique and it's unique on national and international scale in czech republic uh as i said we actually it's a collaboration between two leading uh, research institutions charles university and the czech academy of sciences and we have also our team was very heterogeneous so we had like typically like game designers and programmers uh, and graphic and and artists, which are people who very typically do collaborate on on, uh, developing video games. But beyond that, we had a team of professional historians from the Academy of Sciences and teachers and educationalists. um, And they've been very actively involved in the design phase. So they actually wrote the dialogues they so they were not consultants but they were directly or they of became directly the the game developers and that's a role which was very uh unknown for them they were kind of from the beginning kind of reluctant and they they had many reservations about the medium of video game uh, especially historians and i would so they had very uh they brought to the team a lot of uh, concerns and questions and i would say in the end it really helped us because uh, they uh, because we had to delve with so many internal issues like there were so many internal debates and oftentimes very heated debates mm. about what to include in the game what not how to how to represent certain events or certain characters and not to schema and not to schematize them and I would say in the in the very end this collaboration uh, and internal critique really helped us because the the game is very rich the narrative is unique and definitely not schematized and then actually the next stage was uh and sean can talk more about that when we decided we would like to release the game on steam for global audience which meant not only translating the game but essentially re- rewriting a lot of parts of the game because they were so deeply contextual within mm. like the the check uh, the Czech discourse yeah so that's i think where sean might yeah, Sean, and
2: and I also wonder, Sean, if you can if you can uh, describe a little bit um, what the experience is like. I think it's a a really beautiful thing, and uh, for somebody who's probably uh, described the gameplay and and just sort of the the aesthetic experience uh, quite a bit at this point, uh, I'll leave it in in your expert hands to so just give us the um, the sort of elevator pitch for what one can expect when they uh, when they go download this after they hear this.
4: So the so it is a single um, it is a single person, single player narrative driven game um, that uses multimedia elements, including documentary footage, um, archival documentary footage, uh, filmed interviews with uh, actors who are portraying different uh, eyewitness survivors of World War Two, which. Um, Flashback elements th- when they tell their stories, uh, they they are kind of visually portrayed as flashback uh, elements, stories that you relive. So you relive their past in this beautiful, beautifully rendered graphic uh, novel style with kind of mild uh, animations to it. And then there are different types of mini games within it where you are at a critical moment in... Their memories, and you sort of relive this memory and then play out the mini game, which ranges from a more kind of action based, uh, click and choose type situation uh, to a more cerebral. Uh, You have to construct a poem or you have to construct a newspaper article and you're given an array of choices. And as you make those choices, they branch into other choices and you have to kind of develop a intellectually coherent newspaper article. Mm. So that's that's kind of the short pitch of the game. Um, It's really beautiful. It's really dynamic. Um, There are a lot of very inventive, creative ways of engaging players that I think are not uh, typical for for some people. Um, in terms of my my involvement on this, back to your original question about this yeah. being an international project, kind of cutting across different boundaries, um, you know, this is where my background really, I think, came in useful because I am fluent in Czech, but I am not a native Czech speaker. So I understand Czech very well, but I also have a deep understanding of the American cultural context. So when I was going through the game, I knew all of the references. I mean, we're talking obscure 1920s jazz music. Mm. Uh, if it, only in the Czech Republic would somebody know this, maybe Slovakia also. <laughs> and and I would know exactly who the musician was and what he meant. But that also meant that I was really well equipped to be able to say, all right, how am I going to present this to someone in the United States who's 18 years old and will have no idea about this whatsoever? Mm-hmm. Um. And, and you know something as simple as when when we were going through the original drafts of the translation, the types of slaying that the narrator in the game, the person you're playing, who's supposed to be young, Versus the slang that the grandmother uses, I was able to localize that so that when the granny was talking about an informant, she was using slang to call this informant like a rat or whatever, like mm. it would be appropriate to a granny who grew up in the 1930s and oh, 40s. Oh, fascinating. Where, whereas the kid would use a different level of slang. Um, and again, I think my, my ability to kind of like understand the cultural context and the linguistic context of both languages really allowed that to come out and I, I hope made the game more rich.
2: Mm. What strikes me is um, the amount of uh, the amount of work, but also the amount of expertise and and sort of deep engagement from uh, designers and creators that I feel like is is kind of required of of learning games in order to make them great. Um, and I feel like one of the mistakes – decades of, of learning games that we've seen over time um, – and there are some great ones, but there's also some, some epic failures. And I think uh, one of the things we underestimate in that space is um, – how rich we can make a game when we add the uh, really deep expertise in not only technically but also uh, in in you know everything you just described, shaping those narratives, knowing knowing uh, where the story needs to go in order to sort of evoke um, the right uh, kind of contextual uh, residue from those times, and and uh, I I really just I think it's a beautiful experience. Um, before we run out of time, uh, I wonder from both of you if you can tell me uh, if if you have one hope about what every player leaves their experience with. What is it?
3: Our game is actually a game about very ordinary people living in a very difficult and everything but not ordinary times uh, under totalitarian regime and Nazi occupation. And when we started the game in 2011, uh, we were clearly thinking about the game as uh, as a game about history. But I would say it seems that the game, like every day more and more it seems the game is actually clearly relevant today. And if there is something you can kind of uh, like a key message I would try to distill from the game, it's uh, that like history is not something distant and definite which you know happened uh, and was kind of like uh, bound to happen this way mm. but history is something which is created by uh, very personal like by everyday personal decisions uh, by, by 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 people by human actors and uh, and that's i think like very uh, important message uh. mm-hmm. And if, if there is like, there's actually one line which uh, one character in the game is uh, is actually saying, guys, I think, like, um, yeah, uh, don't lose your hope and courage even when the world around you is darkening. Mm. And I think that's quite a good description of the, as I said, like, external situation of the ordinary people who lived through mm-hmm. the times.
4: Yeah. And um, I'm... I'm a, I'm, I'm an academic originally, so I'm going to bifurcate this question into two answers. Um, and I'm going to, and I'm going to approach it more from the angle of skills because I'm also a high school teacher and, and the skills and skill-based learning is very important for us in addition to content, uh, skills perspective for younger players and for players in general. Um, I think teaching young people how to access history is also very important. Mm. Um, um, it's amazing getting student feedback on this game so far, kids saying things like, wow, I had never thought that, you know, you can just go to your family for history. Um, yeah. that There are stories and narratives uh-huh. that the past is not just something in a book and, and teaching them how to access it. One of the key components of this game for us is uh, so the example I love using when I go to talks is there's one character in the game by the name of Yosef Malek who is accused of by posterity of being a collaborator during the second world war. And your granny certainly thinks he's a collaborator. And she's sort of the main kind of drive of the story is your, your, your fictional grandmother. And she says, Oh, you know, that collaborator, my neighbor Malak, he's, you know, he's awful. And, uh, when you go to knock on his door and talk to him, you're given a choice of, um, what to say to him when he answers the door, mm. and one of the options was, "My granny said you're a collaborator,"
1: <laughs>
4: and, and if you choose that, of course, it's get out of here. And he closes the door in your face, and that's that's the end of it. And and so back to the skills piece, you know, it's teaching kids that like if you want to talk to people about sensitive issues, you really have to think about how you do that and how you approach these difficult topics. That's great.
2: Oh, it's so great.
4: Um, So so from the just really quickly. So on the other side of it, from the skills for game designers, I think is also important, is that, you know, I hope this I hope more games like this are made and not not just by us. Um, Historians are a valuable tool to have involved in creative projects, certainly in video game projects. Um, You know, something as simple as here's a guy on a horse drawn carriage oh, you would never have that type of a carriage carrying three people. Mm. The carriage would have to be longer and it would have to be set. Historians just have this wealth of specific information and understanding. And, And when Vitek was talking about how At times, the creative process could be fraught because the historians could be contrarian and everyone was kicking in these ideas. That's really good for the project because you don't have any one creative person sort of vainly running off with, I want this story to involve this, that and the other thing. Mm. And, And then it starts bending historical truth and facts like our game, Fidelity, is so important like we want oh, yeah. a good story we want it to be compelling we want it to be fun but it has got to be accurate and and I just think that level is a part of what people have been responding to in the game and I really want to see more of that
2: It's outstanding guys it's been such a pleasure I can't thank you enough where where can we? Uh, both follow i'm guessing you guys are on social media in a few different places and and uh where should all of us go and find the game
3: so the website is uh, attentat1942.com the game is also on steam and we are on twitter and facebook under the same name attentat1942
2: VTech, sean i can't thank you enough Thank thank you it's been a pleasure This next conversation is with Kendall Coddington, a Pittsburgh native and game designer who happens to have a side gig crushing middle school. I was grateful for some time to chat with Kendall about her winning game in this year's National Student Challenge for the region of Pittsburgh. I think you'll find Kendall to be another shining example of where there's hope for a future that's as interested in our humanity as it is our financial, political, or personal acceleration. No, thank you so much for joining uh, no such thing I am really excited to have you it is such a treat to be able to interview us as, as, as in part a celebration of the 15th anniversary of games for change uh, our student challenge winner in um, in uh, a, a really special category. And I, I, wanna, I want you to describe uh, the category you, you won and maybe tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the challenge.
1: All right. So the category I won for is kindness and empathy. Um, Games for a Change student challenge. Um, I was introduced to it by a teacher um, and I was the only person in my school doing it. And I picked the um, category kindness and empathy because I feel like technology is often used for like bad stuff um, rather than um, creating awareness for anti-bullying. And I want to make sure people know that technology doesn't have to be a bad thing.
2: I love um, the way you answer that. Uh, I, I... I wonder how you feel about your peers and whether um, whether m- more of your friends feel that way and and uh, are in as far as you as a creator, um, do you have a lot of friends who are also designing and creating uh, as activists, or is this something that uh, you just uniquely see as as kind of a calling?
1: My friend group at school is sometimes going through tough times because we're all in middle school, you know, and I feel like um, kindness and empathy is kind of overlooked in middle school. It's just kind of survive at school, but I feel like we need to all remember that we need to love each other.
2: Yeah. Uh, And so tell me about the game and, and uh, you've done a, a pretty amazing job of creating a thing that, Uh, that speaks exactly to the point you just made. Tell me about it.
1: Uh, Thank you. Um, The game is about a chameleon who was raised, uh, a gecko who was raised by chameleons um, that is going to chameleon school for the first time. And he is made fun of a lot and he tries to do things to change himself, but he realizes that it doesn't work. And he gets popular for who he is because um, his siblings helping him out hosted a staring contest at school and geckos don't blink. So he won, which got a lot of popularity for who he was.
2: I love it. So so tell me more about the gameplay. Like what can people expect with if they go to, to play the game?
1: It's um, kind of an interactive story uh, with mini games in it. Uh, you kind of listen along to the beginning of the story, and then it'll present you with a mini game to help Garrett along with his school adventure.
2: Uh, I love it. Kendall, what was... It, have you designed games before, or was this a first experience for you?
1: Um, I've done games through another competition called TSA, or Technology Student Association, and I've done pretty successful with that.
2: It's great. So, so do you... Uh... See yourself as, um, like, do you? Are you most interested in one particular part of game design? Um, so, are you most interested in coding games, or creating art, or uh, does all of it interest you? Uh,
1: the first game I made, I did all of it, but um, now I have a larger team, and I have graphic designers and other people. Do um for my TSA games. This one was completely individual, but for my T S my last TSA game, I only did coding and I think I like doing it all. But coding is the biggest love of mine.
2: That's pretty great. So what does it feel like uh to get this recognition for you.
1: I didn't know that all this would follow this competition. Like I had no idea.
2: It's great, and cool. and uh, ha- has it motivated others um, in your uh, of your friends and and teachers to take a look and and have you seen more discussion about the topic that you care about uh, as a result of your game?
1: Yeah, like more people are kind of getting into this um, mm-hmm. as I do more and more things with this game. And I feel like people are kind of paying attention to that kind of thing now.
2: It's outstanding. What are your favorite games to play?
1: My favorite games to play. Um, my favorite games to play are my own games, but <laughs> that I just make for fun. Yeah. But I also like games like Fortnite and just about any game you can have fun with your friends with. I
2: thank you so much, Kenno, for the time. I wonder, do you have uh, for students who might hear this or educators who want to encourage other students, um, do you have any words of encouragement for kids who are on the fence and are maybe thinking about submitting something but maybe think their stuff isn't good enough or or just don't know they've never designed a game before but and and it feels intimidating what would you say to them?
1: all you people who have no idea how to do games at all I had no idea my first competition like it just took trial and error don't quit because there was two competitions going on at once which made me want to quit this one but I stuck through it and all this happened so do not give up and do not let the intimidation discourage you
2: I love the message of the game Kendall and uh I I have said it on this show uh so many times not not every young person is uh naturally a game designer but I think uh more than we give credit to are naturally activists, and uh, I think what you did uh, with this as a as a creative, both as a creative project, but also uh, its message is just so important. So I th- I thank you so much for the work and and for being on the show. Uh, if people want to go and find the game. Or um, follow your work, where, where should they go do that?
1: Um, they can go to gamesforchange.org under the 2018 Student Challenge winners um, from Pittsburgh. You can find it. It's called Garrett at Chameleon School.
2: Kendall, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. For more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at MA Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, an Ithaca bomber, an engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. This show would not be possible without the support from the good people at Mouse a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us online at mouse.org.